This is a recording made in the chapel of the open book under the covering title of Saul, who also is called Paul. And we are particularly concerned with the truth or treasure that was put into that earthen vessel. In our consideration last time we met together, we were dealing with that blessed fact that there is such a thing as the forgiveness of sins. But we've still got to remember that that is partly a negative thing. It's a removal. It's taking away. It's cleansing, certainly. But there is a positive need that we should have something in its place. You remember in the passage that we had read this morning, partly, in the uh, prophet, in the Zechariah, there was the vision of the high priest who had filthy garments. And the angel says, take away the filthy garments. But he didn't stop there. He says, give him a change of raiment. And that's where this great question comes. It's one thing to have your sins taken away. It's another thing to have a righteous standing before God as a positive thing. It's symbolised, of course, by the clothing. He hath clothed me with a robe of righteousness. And those in the glory when they stand before God are depicted as wearing white robes. And so I think this morning we shall have to look at this great question of justification following forgiveness to make the, the whole of our salvation are complete as before God and to our own consciences. It's a very ancient question if we look upon the book of Job as being perhaps the first book in scripture. Long before Moses wrote the book of Genesis, he raises two questions. If a man die, shall he live again? That's one. And how shall a man be justified with God? That's another one. Well, we're concerned with that one this morning. Justified. Now, I know I'm speaking to those friends who rejoice in a completely full acceptance in the Beloved. But that will not prevent us from going over the Scriptures which confirm this to us most wonderful theme. So we're considering this morning the basic doctrine justification by faith without the works of the law or any interposition of the flesh justification to justify is among the many words that end up with that FY it means to make something a reality satisfy sanctify magnify it's a group of words now how is this going to be possible because the scripture definitely testifies that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it goes on to say, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see how the words pile up? The very same moment, as it were, that you are conscious of your failure, being justified freely, without money or without price. Only for one aspect, though, for it goes on to speak of a price that we can never fathom in this life. Through 
the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not justified because we have kept the law of Moses or because we have tried to keep the law of Moses. That's entirely out of it. The law of Moses was only to make it manifest that no man will ever attain righteousness by his own works. He must look away from law to grace. He must look away from Moses to Christ. And of course, that is more or less what we have done if we ourselves have passed from death unto life. But we are not going to be satisfied. We are going to turn to the scriptures that we know so well and look at them once again and trust that others who may be joining us later on will be equally benefited and blessed too. So will you turn to a passage in the Epistle to the Galatians? We had it read this morning, part of Galatians, where the Apostle, you remember, is emphasising this fact over and over again from all points of view that justification cannot be attained by you or me by any works or promises that we may do or make. It's freely by grace through redemption and is a gift of God. Now in Galatians chapter 2, just to, just to take a few passages out of this very wonderful epistle, chapter 2, 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is died in vain, gratuitously. If it's possible for a man to be justified by his own works of the law, why should Christ go and die upon a cross under the curse of God? For it speaks of it, the curse in this epistle. Or look at chapter 3. 21. I'm taking these in passing so that we may just get them before us without spending time on each passage. 3.21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily, righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So you see, he's stressing all the time this balance, not law, not works, but faith and grace. Not Moses, but Christ. And again, in chapter chapter 3, 24. Oh, I think I ought to read on then, didn't I? But before faith came, verse 23, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. But there's a time when you leave school and go out into the world and take your place. He says you're no longer under a schoolmaster. You're no longer under this ruler. You're adopted sons of God and stand to that position. So we've got that stress. And if you look back at the Romans, the third chapter, we get a confirmation. Uh, Galatians is a mighty exposition running quickly. Romans is a more solid exposition following afterwards and should be treated in that same spirit. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 onwards. 
Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The character of the law is to wake you up to see what you need. But it doesn't provide what you need. It opens your eyes to see your position, but it points away from itself for the satisfaction of it. So, verse 20. But, verse 21, but now, or think of these changes, friends. But now means that we've crossed the Rubicon. We've crossed a frontier. You and I will never know the misery of being under the law and endeavouring to do the impossible. For Christ has come, and that's finished. But now, the righteousness of God, quite apart from the law, without the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So there's no antagonism. The law and the prophets, with all their stress, are still pointing on to Christ, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all, and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Perfectly level here. No difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the standard, and no one's ever reached it, of the children of Adam. And if I stop there, I'm stopping too soon. The very next word in verse 24 is being. Now that's carrying me on. So will you notice, when you're brought down to the very edge of despair and the end of yourself, this is what you're reminded. I'll go back a little bit then. For all has sinned, and the word is in the past, for all sin in the past, and are coming short of the glory of God in the present, being, now being, at the very self-same moment, being justified freely, gratuitously, as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So at the self-same time that you have to acknowledge you're a failure, at the self-same time you're triumphantly victorious in Christ, not in yourself, not in your own actions and obedience. But now we must go on a bit further through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. Here are two words looking at two aspects of the sacrificial work of Christ on our account. Redemption leads you out of Egypt. Propitiation leads you into the presence of God in the tabernacle in the wilderness. I'm using Old Testament figures. The one is a deliverance from and the other is an access to. For God doesn't make a mistake. He doesn't lead you out and leave you there. He leads you out in order that he may lead you in. And so we have the perfect acceptance. Let's read it again. For all sinned in the past and are coming short of the glory of God at the present moment, being justified gratuitously, freely, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation and atoning work through faith in his blood. Notice the one link that we have over and over again. 
those of you who heard the reading in Galatians just now, will realize the emphasis upon faith. 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 And faith is that hand that reaches out and grasps the gift of God. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare your righteousness. Oh no, friends. There's something more in view. We cannot possibly conceive of God being compromised in our salvation. Nothing, nothing that we can think of must ever mean that he has in some measure lowered the standard. And because he could not lower the standard, he spared not his only son that he should justify God and make it possible for us. Keep that in mind. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins of the past. Aren't you glad that God is righteous when he saves you? Not merely a pat on the head and say, don't do it anymore. That's what an earthly father could do. He could do no more. But our heavenly father, he can take away and he can give in place this righteousness which we so much need. Uh, where this, this, these sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness. You see, the apostles concerned about this. He said, I don't want you to take this question of justification by faith too easily. It's justifying God as well as you. Otherwise, the thing would collapse. But friends, are you conscious what a position you have? What a foundation beneath your feet? What a blessed hope? And no shrinking back because the whole thing is so perfectly completed. God himself is justified in your salvation as well as you. Go on again then. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just. Emphasize the fact to yourself and others that your salvation by grace through faith is that God might be just and the justifier. Those two must be kept together. Otherwise salvation is just a sentimental thing and may collapse at any moment. The just and the justifier. The judge in the court and the sinner before him completely cleared. That's your position. That's mine, friends. What a marvellous thought to think that this earthen vessel was picked out by God, the Apostle Paul, to be the champion in the New Testament of justification by faith. Will you remember what he was? He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a bigot. He was a legalist. And he could say with a good conscience, touching the righteous requirements of the law, he said, I was blameless. Now that beats you and me, we couldn't say that, but this man could. And then he realised that the utmost righteousness that a bigoted Pharisee could reach was in the sight of God, filthy rags. And they are to be stripped away. And now he's glad to lay them aside and stand completely and fully and only accepted in the Beloved. If that's not a gospel of good news to preach, I do not know what is. So you see, we're not lessening the value and wonder of the forgiveness of sins. 
We are showing that the forgiveness of sins takes away the filthy garments. But the justification gives you a change of raiment. And that was set forth in that peculiar reading in Zechariah chapter 3. Later on we may have to go back to that chapter because the grace of God is such that he doesn't stop there. And one of the those who stood by said, set a fair mitre upon his head. Now the mitre is a priestly uh, vestment. And so we, we move in Zechariah 3 from justification to sanctification. We move from the epistle to the Romans, righteousness, to the epistle to the Hebrews, holiness. But it's all a part of the gift of God. It's all a part of our standing. It's all a part of the wonderful riches that are in this earthen vessel that we have had before us these several studies. We notice in chapter 4 of Romans, again he picks up this theme of justification because it's such an important one. Suppose we read the first few verses of Romans 4. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what said the scripture? Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. And what was the consequence? It was counted unto him for righteousness. Before we finish this aspect of the truth of God, but not this morning's study, we shall have to devote a little time to this question of counting, or reckoning, or imputing. There's three or four different words in our English version, all for the same thing. A principle that runs through this marvellous witness. That what we have never done can be reckoned to us because it's been done for us by our substitute, the Christ of God. But that's anticipating a little. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. I mean, the man who goes up to the office on the Saturday and gets his little wage packet, if he's a decent sort of person, he says, thank you. But it's his by law. It's his by right. It's his because he's earned it. But we can't do that. We have to say most certainly thank you. But not because we are just polite. It's because there's nothing else we can say. So it says here, but to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. So there's no burking this question. Justifies the ungodly. While we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me, by nature. What a change is, is suggested then. But to him that worketh not, but leaveth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith, now this is where faith comes in again, his faith is counted for, reckoned for, righteousness. Faith isn't righteousness. The righteousness is in the one you believe. But by believing him, 
God has arranged this marvellous transfer that you can stand accepted in all his righteousness. And apart from this, we have no hope of glory or of everlasting life. This is basic. And so we've got this emphasis here. And not only does he quote Abraham, uh, but he quotes David, verse 6, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. How does he say it? Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So now we've got impute from two points of view. Positively, he will impute righteousness to the believer. And negatively, he will not impute their sin to them when he does it. All these words are the base of our hopes, friends. And even if we have to labour them, I think most of us will agree it will be worth the labour to try to discover just what is in the mind and will of God, for it is so vital. But we leave that for another time and just go on a bit further. In Romans, the fifth chapter, we're still in Romans because, you see, Romans is the epistle of justification. Romans, the fifth chapter, and verses 15 and 16, we read these words. But not as the offence, so also is the free gift. He's, he's now contrasting one thing with another. He's contrasting the sin of the person and the free gift that the person receives. For if through the offence of one, now he's referring right back to the fall of man, who involved his posterity in his fall. But not as the offence, so is the free gift. For if through the offence of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which is by one man. So we are tied, you see, to one man. And they're both called Adam. There's Adam the first, and the second man, the last Adam. And all our hopes and all our salvation are related to the second man and the last Adam. And in the same way, whatever we do, we can never disentangle ourselves from the first man, the first Adam. We cannot question God's right to do this or his purpose in it. But he shuts us up to two men, as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, shall all be made alive. If you're in Adam, you die. If you're in Christ, you live. So we'll wait till glory comes and go to the classes that will be arranged there to have these things more intimately flattened out for us. But don't let's postpone salvation because we can't understand every item of it. Let's receive the gift of God as it's here. Sealed with the blood of Christ showing the sanctity of it and the sacredness of it and the wonder of it and then pass from this turmoil of heart and mind to the peace of God that passes all understanding. Again, you see, you can have a peace and you can rejoice in it. But whether you can plumb its depths or scale its heights in this life is a thing that is questioned. Or well, once again, we'll turn to the Epistle to the Ephesians, and uh, this makes me think of 
little comments I used to hear when my children were small. <laughs> going to Ephesians again. But it's not a bad book to go to sometimes, friends, after all, is it? Ephesians 2, verse 8. Just one verse you can pick out. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved. Now, do you notice this? He doesn't say, by faith are you saved. He's putting grace first. Faith afterwards. But if God were not acting in grace, all the faith in the world would accomplish nothing. But because he's acting in grace, he says, I accept your faith. And that is the password into this glorious acceptance. For by grace are you saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. You say, well, surely I must be credited with believing. But there's an evil heart of unbelief, friends, that makes it almost impossible for anybody really to accept a free gift from God without working on their hearts to make it possible. Isn't that wonderful? We can't explain it. We don't want to seek to justify it. We can only say we know how true it is. So I'll read the words again in Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved, through faith. And don't think through faith means any credit to you. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. If there's any work done, it's the God of grace and glory that's done the work through the witness and the wonder of Christ's sacrificial life and death. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we come right the way around the story and we find that the good works which were shut out against us, that were no use to us, are now open to us. God is not antagonistic to righteousness and good works, but he says keep them in their place. If you make good works a means of salvation, they are an abomination in the sight of God. But if you have salvation by grace through faith and you have no good works as a consequence, well, you've got a tree that produces nothing but leaves. So the two sides are balanced. Only we want to get them in the right proportion. Well, now, once more, we must realise time is, is going. But I'll emphasise now from Romans, the 11th chapter, Oh, I won't emphasise the way in which this emphasis is on grace, not merely on faith. Romans, the 11th chapter, verse 6. You see, he's a long way through the epistle now. He says in verse 5, Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, now he's talking about something else apart from justification. But he's still saying this is the character of grace. Wherever it's manifested, wherever it's exhibited, wherever it's used, here it is. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more a peculiar way of arguing, perhaps, but very definite. That is to say, you cannot mix grace and works. <coughs> you cannot mix a free gift with earning. 
If you want your wages, he says, oh friends, if you want your wages, here it is. The wages of sin is death. The only wages we shall ever earn in this life, friends. All Christian work is not given wages. We're doing it out of love to him. We're doing it because he loved us and gave himself for us and we want others to share. But if you want wages, the wages of sin is death. And so we have grace instead. Saved by grace without works of any kind except works which accompany salvation though we thus speak. Chapter 6 of this same epistle to the Romans verse 23. Verse 23. Oh, I think uh, we'll look at verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is not really life, friends but it's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, so we may go on with regard to this marvellous emphasis. I'd like to just include another aspect. We've already read it, but I would like to give them their place, that this righteousness which is ours is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through the propitiation, the atoning work that he did, the whole sacrificial work. The reason why he died on a cross is not because it was a Roman punishment, but as Galatians puts it, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Peter never speaks of the cross of Christ. He says that he died on a tree. And he knew that the death on the tree was the curse of having broken the law of God, not broken the law of Rome, and so Galatians links the two. Galatians speaks of the cross of Christ. Galatians speaks of the tree. And it's the tree that Christ died upon was the curse of a broken law being born by one who always kept that law in his heart and died for you and for me. So just a word or two with regard to the place of redemption and then we shall have to come to a conclusion once again. In chapter 5, Romans, verses 8 and 9, he says in verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet, peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die, that's taken place in the history of the, of the world, but God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ, died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What a salvation is ours. What treasures are found in this earthen vessel? What a need there is that we should not only know the teaching of the Gospels, but we should know the teaching that was given by this man 
raised up and given the name as the Apostle of the Gentiles. And so, this morning, we have stressed, as far as it's humanly possible, the glorious, wonderful teaching of justification by faith without works, the gift of God through the redeeming love of Christ. I've got a little piece here that I picked out somewhere. I praise the Lord, tis all of him, the grace, the faith, the blood, the resurrection power, the works. I'm justified by God. If you could say that as I believe you can, you've got a blessing now and a passport to eternal glory in the coming future.